0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders.
1: Order, order. Welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what did not and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. Joining me today in the brand new facelifted News Laundry studio, uh, are two very able journalists, Fatima Khan from The Quint and our in-house crack reporter, Nidhi Suresh. That
2: sounds so wrong,
1: crack (laughs) reporter. means that you crack every story you're wrong.
2: Now we all know Nidhi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, during the recently concluded uh, assembly elections, uh, both of them were reporting from uh, states that were in polling. So Fatima was in Uttar Pradesh, she was traveling across Banaras, Lucknow, Kasganj, among many other places. Um, and she and her colleague Sadika did a series of reports on targeted attacks against the Muslim community in the state. It's called Everyday Communalism. You can check it out. After the results, she also reported on voting patterns in the state and gave, gave us some masala on what is happening within the Congress Party. Uh, we'll learn more about that from her. <laughs> and Nidhi, of course, on the other hand, was in Goa with our producer, colleague aditya she did several stories there but two of them that we'll take up today were concerned with the women voters of the state and how the church is a guiding force when it comes to elections hello guys hello Hi, Ayush,
2: and hello. you were in punjab
1: i was in punjab as they're aware <laughs> so uh first of all tell me uh how was reporting like uh, i've only reported. this was my second Actually, if you count Delhi, which is Delhi, we stay here so we all can report. But this is my, if we count Delhi, third assembly election that I reported on. What about you guys?
0: Uh, so I think last year in 2021, I traveled to Kerala and Bengal and a little bit to Sam, but right. this was the first holistic, like proper, over the course of two months, yeah. election coverage, also because UP is such a vast state, ideally it should have required, I, probably I should have spent many more months there, mm. honestly, even after two months, I felt like there's so much that I don't know, there's so much that, uh, you know, we're still at the surface
2: of, but yes, this was like the first proper on right. holistic coverage.
1: Was that yours? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: last, I've done two so far. One mm. was Kerala's assembly election, and this one. Mm. I think Kerala was very different also because I knew the language. And you Mm -hmm. really realize during election how much language becomes such an integral part of reporting, especially to understand, you know, people and how they feel and Mm -hmm. even to connect as a reporter. Mm -hmm. So, Goa, uh, everyone knows English and everyone speaks English fairly well, which was easy. But also, Goa is a very different state from any other place I've been to or reported at. Like Kerala had very clear issues that, you know, stood out and you know, before going, okay, there's this person you can speak to and this person's been vocal. Goa that way was quite Mm -hmm. tricky. Right, um, And we had a limited time. I think we had about 10-15 days and then Prateek was also there. Mm-hmm. So I thought that we had less time on ground. Right. But overall, it was very interesting to... Be in Goa where we usually go only for vacation. Yes. I've never <laughs> been to Goa
0: in my You've life. I've never guys. been I'm really upset that you get to go for work. <laughs> <laughs>
2: also, <laughs> but you know, we only went to the beach once.
1: Yeah, but we're on the same page. I've also never been to Goa.
2: You've Upa, also never been to Goa. Guys, you must take a next vacation. assembly election. We I think <laughs> I think we work a lot.
1: <laughs> we work a lot. Yeah. <laughs> work yeah, a lot.
2: Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I you, work in Goa.
1: Yeah, and you were allegedly reporting from there Allegedly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Sources said.
0: Sources yeah. claimed.
1: But you guys, um, um, I mean, I think when Fatima was in Kerala, she also reported on the church uh, in Kerala and you were in Goa and you reported on the church, which is strange, I think might seem a little strange to, you know, typical North Indian viewer or listener that we we might have because I can't think of um, state at least uh, in our part of the country where the church becomes such a force. But both of you uh, have... Taken that angles in your stories?
2: It's also very different. I think like the church we assume has one voice, but within Mm. the church, like Goa has a Catholic church dominates. And I think in Kerala, there's a Siro Malabar Malabar Mm. church, which is Mm. actually, I think pledged allegiance to BJP in terms of the whole Uh, love jihad issue. They have been
0: very clearly pro-BJP. And they're also a very powerful group within Kerala, very influential, very powerful monetarily Mm. and otherwise. So, you know, unlike here where power dynamics are completely different in here, when I say, I mean most part of North India. Yeah. There it's very different. Right. And yeah. Goa, there's
2: I think only one Siro Malabar church which has a very, very, very less influence in Goa. And the Catholic church is very anti BJP right now. Right. So there, there's so many different voices within the church also in the South.
1: Yeah. Actually, there's a. I was in Punjab and in parts of Punjab, especially the Majha area, which is Gurdaspur, Amritsar belt, mm-hmm. you have a growing Christian, Christian community, mm-hmm. which uh, I think some news outlets reported on where. Uh, what the voting patterns among them would, might be but I feel now I'm regretting you know since both of you we doing the story. yeah looked at that angle not doing that story but then I think we had bigger things to look at in Punjab but yeah it's something for the next election or the one after mm-hmm. but anyway uh, so tell me you know I we've read your stories you guys have big followings on Twitter everyone knows <laughs> what you cover but what is it like reporting you know that part that does not make it to your copies for example for example, I'm confident that out of the three of us, I had best food <laughs> while <laughs> reporting. What was UP like?
0: Dude. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I feel like, okay, initially also I think the problem with reporting in winters, right, is mm-hmm. that the sun sets very soon, of course. Duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the issue then is that you start really early and still you feel like you you have so much to do before there's no more sunlight Mm. and I would inevitably end up skipping so many of my like meals like lunch I would inevitably miss but then also dinner I'd have really late in the night because by the time you wrap up things are just still in the process and also when I hit the field Omicron was just peaking Mm. so things were again undergoing a shutdown and I agree the best part of field reporting is Mm. like the food and the Culture or whatever, right? Like the hmm. things you come across on the field, uh, which really did take a toll this time. But I'm sure Niti had a great fun
2: having their go on yeah, curry. Go <laughs> uh, well, actually, I'm a vegetarian. So uh-huh. the seafood was all wasted on me. But hmm. my colleague Aditya is a big foodie. Right. So <laughs> we've reported two elections together now. So food's never an issue because he has a plan like we have a research plan on our stories he has a research plan for food yeah. so that that works out fine um of course goa is really beautiful and also like i think we see mostly the beaches in goa but it's got a massive like forest area and hmm. you know it's, it's really beautiful so that was amazing to uh, yeah. see and witness and amazing to get out of Delhi when the pollution was also quite bad here right. look at Ayush and me nodding along like we yeah. know what
0: Goa is like
1: <laughs> I mean can, I can only imagine. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of it's on the Konkan coast I have lived in Pune which is kind of on the Konkan coast so it might be what I've seen there but
2: you know surprisingly from Goa we went to mm. Udupi uh, oh, for yeah. the hijab reporting and uh, I actually thought Udupi was so much more nicer. Mm -hmm. Like the beaches were so much more cleaner, underrated, not touristy and really beautiful. So, if you haven't been to Goa, go to Udupi next time. That whole area is really, it's also the RSS lab. So, (laughs) just Just for you to pitch stories. casually
0: telling us all the pros. (laughs) This country is our RSS lab. Anyway,
1: so let's come to your stories, Fatima. Starting with you, we have uh, looked at how the Congress Party, when the results came out, is stripped to probably its most vulnerable, uh, you know, state in its long political history. In uh, UP, I think it has 2 to 3% voting percentage. In Punjab, it f- really fell to 23%. I was looking at the exit polls and all of them, none of them actually expected the Congress a party yeah. to reach a 23. And this is a party that won 77 last election in assembly of 117 seats. Um, So, Let's start with Uttar Pradesh and tell us about what you think uh, the Congress Party got so wrong because they put in more effort, you write in your story, than last year when they won seven seats, they won two this time. Why did the party end up with that kind of number, especially when we thought and at least in the media, it seemed like Priyanka Gandhi might have a big appeal?
0: Yeah, no, it's true. You know, this time around, I do have to say that Priyanka Gandhi evidently put in much more effort and I don't mean just a month or two months before the elections we know for a fact that she was one of the few odd leaders who were the first ones to say reach a Hathras or a Anunna or "Son Bhadra," and all of those things of course caught media attention caught media headlines and I do think that does play an important role I'll never ever dismiss that as being you know merely quote unquote parachute politics and uh, you know why this is important I do think that for a national political party these are important things that need to be done merely and purely for optics. And I'm saying optics do play a very important role. The problem with Congress is that while they had that bit of it handled and kudos to Priyanka Gandhi because she does have that kind of appeal, that kind of charm with people. In Uttar Pradesh, I noticed just you know, and this is a nationwide problem with the party but in UP specifically the organisational rigour is lacking to such a great extent you know the party cadres they're just not enthused at all for them the fact that okay sure Priyanka Gandhi comes but then the fact is that she doesn't live there you know the fact that your general secretary who's supposed to shoulder your campaign who's supposed to lead you to victory or at least a decent number of seats she doesn't live there she keeps going back and forth between Delhi and Lucknow um, you know, it had been at least I think there was a period when for over a year, she did not even visit the Lucknow office of uh, the Congress Party, which is huge. You know, if you just think about what it means for the average party carder who sits around that area, for them, this can this is very devastating. I think that combined with the fact that a lot of things start at the top, but they don't really seep uh, down in terms of just how things are being handled within the party. Even the fact that so many of the leaders exited the Congress in a span of, like, say, six months uh, before the elections, be it Jitin Prasad or RPN, saying, more recently, Imran Masood, who I would say of the three had, you know, most uh, stake within Uttar Pradesh and most appeal within the party cadres All of these things do inevitably play a role. And I personally, you know, I'll be very honest, I personally did think that they do better than last time. So even I did not predict that they'd come down to such a big margin. But of course, you know, number of factors play a role there. Um, you know, last time, a lot of SPs votes also got transferred to them. This time, the Muslim consolidation behind the SP was... I would say unprecedented in many ways because for them, for the Muslim community, I have no qualms in saying this was an existential election. Um, so you know these external factors also play a role in why we are seeing things happen with Congress. I think the bigger story with Congress isn't just UP, but how they lost Uttar Pradesh and, uh, Uttarakhand and Goa, mm. which even the exit polls had predicted would be a much uh, closer, much tight, much tighter fight. And I think Goa Nidhi can expound a little bit on.
2: No, I think with Congress, what she said about, you know, uh, there's so much lack of touch with the ground. Like I noticed this in Kerala as well, where Rahul Gandhi was an MP in Wayanad, And <laughs> there's a huge Adivasi community in Wayanad. the tribal population, I think 32% of population in Vineyard is tribals. And they had, uh, I remember Rahul Gandhi had come and offered laptops to a lot of kids during covid Uh But the truth is, if you go, we visited a few Adivasi areas, there's no food, there's no electricity, there's no, uh, absolutely no um, sense of normalcy, you know, or even a home. So to offer laptops in that moment just is so symbolic of how much of a lack of touch you have with the ground and he'd hardly visited wynad and when he came once or twice it was during the farmers protest and he conducted a tractor rally in wynad which was so which is so bizarre yeah. especially at a state which really suffers and from environmental disasters and has a massive push for better policy in terms of environment and their farm they have issues with in terms of farming there is farmer suicide but it's nothing to do with the three farm bills but his interpretation was oh farmers are upset and why not so we will conduct a tractor rally and pledge support to the farmer protest and that just shows his lack of understanding of the place at all and one could say that his intentions are in the right place his heart's in the right place that just doesn't translate into anything meaningful ultimately in politics right and in Goa I think the defections was the major, major thing that people were upset with, even though in 2017, Congress had more seats than BJP. BJP ultimately formed the government. Um, And this time, it's very difficult, like I was just telling you, like it's very difficult on ground to really tell whether it's pro-BJP or pro-Congress because people in Goa really vote for personalities. And when your personality, and they don't even care anymore who shifts to which party because like for example Churchill from Benalim when we went, there were people who said I vote for Churchill. It's not, whether he goes from BJP to Congress to TMC, all of which he's done, he's gone from Congress to TMC and switched a couple of times. People don't care. So it's like to really understand party in Goa is very difficult in terms of, you know, who's doing what, because ultimately, it's all personality based. And BJP got it right in terms of pushing personalities. Mm -hmm. And Congress just laid back and hoped that because after the death of Parikar, they were hoping that there would be enough anti incumbency towards promote Savant, which was there to an extent, and they were counting on that. But that didn't play out clearly.
1: (laughs) So after the elections, uh, you know, there was once again, the sort of um, repeat of what something we've been used to now that the high command of the party and by high command, I mean Sonia Gandhi, Rahul Gandhi and Priyanka Gandhi. uh, We were told that they offered to resign, you know, that they took responsibility, but that did not end up happening. But tell me, you spoke to some Congress insiders after the defeat and what uh, did they say? What did they think about why the party got such a drubbing in specifically Uttar Pradesh? Did Was there some soul searching or did they identify some reasons? I mean, I know, for example, Uttarakhand, they said that Harish Rawat was spending so much time in Punjab. For Uttar Pradesh, what was the internal assessment like?
0: Yeah, you know, I'll be very honest. You know, most parties they get to know Ki Yani Bos Vangu So I think up the expectations were remarkably low, okay like lower than I had for the party in UP uh, because your internal surveys do tell you more or less how things will pan out. um but I think every time something like this happens, their biggest fear is how this will affect the internal dynamics of the party. I'll tell you like before for the for the last two years in fact, I've been writing, similar or nearly same copies, you know, stories over the Congress every time it loses an election. In 2020, uh, to remind our listeners, uh, 23 leaders had written to Sonia Gandhi asking for a full-time and effective leadership, basically a leadership overhaul in so many words, uh, which was unprecedented. And at that time, also, there was a Congress working committee meet. And at that time, she said that, look, I'll I'll put in my papers. I'll quit this post if you need me to. um. And they were like, OK, let's make a schedule. And then they were like, OK, you know what? 2021 elections are uh, about to take place. So we should wait till the elections get over. The expectation at that time, what uh, Congress insiders told me was that Congress would actually end up winning Kerala. um. And if that were to happen, since Rahul Gandhi was the face of their campaign in Kerala, this would be an effective way to reinstall him as the party president. uh, Because he just brought in this state and this victory. But that didn't happen. So things didn't go as per the script. Um, And so... That meeting also began with Sonia Gandhi saying, okay, let's discuss the uh, schedule. And they were like, okay, sure. But you know what, there's just this big COVID wave happening. Uh, The second wave uh, at that time, this was around May or June last year. And, you know, we don't we, at this point, we need to make sure that we, uh, all our energies go into helping the people of the country and not focusing on internal elections. And so they were like, okay, let's push it again. And I I, I wrote that copy and I, it said uh, the, the spokesperson of the party at that time held a press conference and he said that we will hold the elections at the end of June 2021. By the end of June 2021, the Congress party will have a new elected president at any cost. The words were at any cost. And it's going to be one year soon. And, uh, you know, the party will not have any president because as per the new schedule, they'll again meet in August, September. Mm. Uh, So, you know, these things keep happening over and over again in what it inevitably does is, you know, for the average, sure, there are leaders who have, you know, their incentives, they have their posts, their office bearers, they, they'll they be at some point poached by the BJP or the TMC or the AAP. But for the average party worker, you know, this really, really takes a beating because they start feeling like they are part of this extremely repetitive discourse and they've been reduced to a joke, you know, how Rahul Gandhi has been reduced to a joke in amongst many because of the kind of caricatures and and the words that he's been um, attributed to, the descriptions that have been attributed to him. But, you know, the average party worker begins to feel that way. And that that is really demeaning and disappointing and just disheartening for the worker, which I think is happening this time, too.
1: I'm just reminded of this great one line that Kapil Sibal recently he said that we are G23, not G 23. Yeah. And I know that was very smart of him. But you've been covering the Congress for several years now. Do you think, I mean, from whatever we have seen in the last week, that anything that is happening since the loss is any way different from last time, from 2020, 2021? Is there some actual more substantial uh, soul searching within the party. Will a- elections actually take place in a few months?
2: You really want Congress to do the soul searching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. We,
1: we, I mean, I uh-huh. really want to because this used to be the part, the vehicle of our freedom movement, and it's been yeah. reduced to two percent vote yeah. in a state where Jawaharlal Nehru came from. You know.
2: In fact, someone was recently saying like, if Congress is a national party, AAP is equal. Like they have same number of states now. Like yeah. I think Congress By has itself, two Kerala and Rajasthan, and now yeah. AAP has Delhi and Punjab. Um, yeah. Congress is Cong- bigger cadre, for sure. so Cong-
0: I was just saying, by itself, Congress has Rajasthan and Chhattisgarh, and in Alliance, and, yeah. it has Tamil Nadu like, and Maharashtra. Uh, but trying. yeah, by itself, it has just two states, as yeah. does UP now. yeah। Although one state is like a mini state, Semi state, okay. Let's, like, yeah, let's go there yeah. Yeah. One's
1: on the incline, the <laughs> other's on the decline. Um but you know, also in Punjab, uh, this I see I saw at close quarters what she's saying is that even though the leaders they fight among themselves, it's the cadre that no one really seems to be thinking about. There's this one's constituency we wrote about Sultanpur Lodi in the mm. Abba region. That's the Actual actual uh, region where Congress won most of its seat. Now, there, an independent candidate won the election. And his name is Rana Inder Pratap Singh. His, his slogan was, you know, it was Jithe Rana Utthe Chana. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he was an independent candidate and he he's the son of the uh, Congress MLA from the neighboring Kapoorthala. So the father basically fielded his son against the Congress incumbent MLA who's this guy called Naftey Chima. And Congress didn't come second, it didn't even come third, it came fourth. And they won that constituency twice in the last 10 years. So, And of course, the internal word was that once this independent candidate wins, we will seat of Congress. But then think about what happens to the cadre because they are split. They Mm. post all their municipal councillors and they took all their sarpanch. So, what is there for the party on the ground? Nothing. But let's talk about the depressing bit from UPS, Punjab. tell us the depressing bit from Goa. Um, see, the Catholic Church, as we started off with, uh, we were talking before and you said the Catholic Church has some sort of an influence in how uh, voters will vote. But it's not... Always as direct. You know, it's hmm. not uh, Ram Rahim in Punjab who say, yeah. BJP ko vote karo. Yeah. they have certain keywords. Uh, tell us about what that was 2017. I found it very interesting. And what was that keyword this time? And did it work?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating how the church works because it's so open, but also so not known unless you're a goan and you're a Catholic Christian goan. So we had. So what we did was we went for mass uh, one morning in a church, and it was really interesting because right before the mass began, uh, and we interviewed this father called Father Ballmax, who was really fascinating. And he uh, started with a prayer for the candidates, and then he went on for a while talking about you know how how you should vote without telling people who to vote for or who not to vote for. And there's a very clear system. The church basically has a council which months before the election, they go out on ground, they go to every constituency and they conduct research, So they have surveys, then they come and compile this and then they sort of write a letter of recommendation to the archbishop mm-hmm. and say that this is who the church should ideally vouch for and this is who we should not vouch for. The archbishop then writes a letter which is a very sort of cryptic letter where he says, like, for example, in 2017, like I was telling you, he said uh, that we should not vote for, we should vote against corruption. Now, if you're a Goan, you know that corruption is synonymous with Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, that they have such a power over that community because they're also quite like, there's faith is a big part of Goa. And even mm-hmm. politically, if you look at, like the church will always tell you people from within the church and like the parish, the basically the Christians in Goa, that because of so much defection, there is a loss of hope in Goan politics. So a lot of the senior citizen in Goa, especially Christians, do come to the church and look to the church for as a guiding force, which is how everyone really described the church. So at that point, when the church has that, they have that power, right? Like there's, there's a vacuum of faith, uh, politically or spiritually, yeah. and they're able to like sort of uh, capitalize on that. So really, they helped steer the votes in uh, 2017 against Congress. And that somehow automatically became pro-BJP because they, BJP seemed like the lesser evil in comparison to uh, Congress at that point in Goa. And Goa is also, like the church there is very involved in activist work, like like even environmental work. They're really involved, like fathers come and st- participate in protests, So people see them not just as a religious uh, uh, or as clergymen, but also as activists, as human rights activists, as environmental activists. So they really think the church has a massive uh, influence. And like the government in Goa gives policies for grihadar scheme and things where they dash out cash mm-hmm. assistance. Church also has their welfare fund. So sometimes people say that it's easier to get the money from the church than the government. Mm-hmm. So really, it's like they have this parallel mechanism working there. And I think about um, so this, you know, this is the mechanism and then the bishop sends this letter. Mm-hmm. And this goes to every priest. And um, and, the, and how to give that message is also uh, told by the Archbishop. And then there's also the mechanism that if priests don't agree mm-hmm. with this messaging, then they consult the Archbishop, there's a conversation, and they kind of describe it as there's this healthy debate. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, priests all have to, you know, sort of abide by. And there's also people who are appointed to make sure there's no conflict among priests and among the messaging. So this time, the church was very anti-communalism, which we all know, you know, translates to anti-BJP. But I think where the church really failed, and they also agreed to this, I'd I'd had a conversation with Father Balmax after the victory, after BJP's victory, that um, everything that they worried had come true. You know, they were very anti-BJP, but they didn't have a clear sense of who they wanted Mm -hmm. in power. Because there were so many parties this time, Congress had already failed them, TMC is new, ARP is fairly new. But ARP also, like, the dependence on the church is so high like for example the father was telling me that uh, K.J. Wal had sent priests Catholic priests from Delhi uh, to speak to fathers there mm-hmm. to kind of tell them that you know give the messaging for Ahmadmi Aadmi Party candidates but the church was very worried that they the votes might get split and they were saying don't vote for BJP but also they said don't split votes which actually left the messaging fairly confusing I think mm-hmm. um, and while they can't give direct uh, instructions during mass, all these priests are also part of WhatsApp groups. And you know, they also during COVID, the uh, mass became online. So one thing that the father pointed out was they would have these online masks which would get there go out as YouTube videos right so all these comments under YouTube videos the fathers would just take over so when people debate they'll comment and say but what has bjp done you know you should think about it like if you read the comments it's quite uh, it's quite engaging and he was sending it to me he, this father was telling me that while we don't have the power to do it during mass we can't take names Uh, We do it through these other mechanisms like YouTube comments, WhatsApp, yeah, (laughs) and so that influence is really very clear in the in Goa, Goa politics at
1: least. Yeah, and um, see the thing about I don't uh, know most so much about the inside story of Goa, but what I was looking at when I the exit polls came out, is that most of them were, you know, mm, uh, ex- uh, it would be a hung assembly. Yeah. Some gave at yeah. some gave Congress the edge. And then I, I was tallying that with the actual results. And they, of course, got 20 vote seats. Yeah. And they need 21. They have some independent candidates supporting them. They have three them. independent candidates and two three. Yeah. I see. I see. And, but uh, the what what is interesting to see in the exit poll was how much um, they exaggerated the Congress's vote share. Yeah, I mean, Access My India, which is, you know, I think the most reputed of all exit posts gave them 32%. They actually got 25 with their ally Goa forward party. Yeah. Uh, ETG and C voters Jan Ki Baad gave 30%. CNX 29, P PMRQ, Republic TV's ally, mm-hmm. give them 28%. Even Republic TV is more optimistic about your uh, exit poll <laughs> yeah. your numbers. it was then. very
2: surprising that way this time. Like for example even RG, which is mm. the Revolutionary Goan Party, which is a new party. Nobody expected them to even get one seat. Mm. But they made it. Right. They got one seat. Mm. TMC got no seats. I yeah. think they were at least predicting one or two seats uh, yeah. if I'm right. But and there was so nothing. much
0: Buzz, I mean, mostly created by TMC itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, if you just
2: land in Goa... You'll know, I'm sure. It's only Mamta didi everywhere. (laughs) And you really think that, shit, they're like here, they're here to take it by the storm. But the amount of money they've spent on media Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Like, I think someone from IPAC, a friend who works there, said that it's 10 times higher than what's being reported. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's... But Goa, that way, I think what TMC got wrong is Goa has a very clear idea of who's an insider and who's an outsider. To, so, so to see a party come in three months before elections, make it seem like they're here for them, they're not buying that shit.
1: Yeah. right. But I think that works in almost all states in this country. I mean, um, this insider-outsider yeah. game, right? Even in Punjab, unless I think you had only Kejriwal, people could say that, uh, you know, he's... An outsider. From, he's mm-hmm. an outsider. But a lot of appeal he had on the ground was attached to Bhagwant maan Which is the opposite
2: um, in Goa. Like the appeal was attached to Amit Palankar than Kejriwal, Mm. but Kejriwal is a better orator. Right. So people turned up more to listen to him speak, but Mm. personality wise, Amit Palinkar had his own...
1: Is he a good orator? So, do you no. think? Who kg
2: compared to Amit Palankar yeah.
1: <laughs> but they still got 6.7% uh, of yeah. the vote share and yeah. uh, the Trinamool Congress got 5.2 but see the so fact that the posters were everywhere just shows that and perception Manka is really such a powerful like, it's
2: now. just like the fact that we've got this much vote percentage is indicative <laughs> of enough that we're going to take over Goa and shit yeah. like that.
1: Well Anyway, Fatima, yeah. so this story, the story series that you did on everyday communalism, which is about how, uh, you know, the Muslim community is being targeted in parts of Uttar Pradesh over sometimes it's, you know, COVID jihad. Land jihad, this jihad, that jihad, and um, that was the you know, uh, and of course, all of us have also been in non-election times in UP because a lot of things have been happening since the, you know, I was there when um, during the when twenty-three young men were killed, all Muslim, by the UP police when the anti-CA, Anti-CA. protests yeah. were taking place, <laughs> and it really was a question of existential, you know, what w- the point was to survive was to have a government, at least in the Muslim community to that would not target them or at least create that hostile atmosphere. And I think that was the expectation that created this idea that the Muslim community will vote for one party and on mass. But after, you know, the results came out and the Samajwadi party, even though had more vote share, did not win as many seats as even some exi- exit polls predicted. Um, the same accusations started flying that, you know, this party or that party cut the vote. Ovesi was particularly targeted. You know, he was also literally targeted when he was polling yeah. when there was an assassination yeah. attempt.
0: What's interesting is that the assassination attempt on his car, right? He was basically mm-hmm. driving by his car. I had interviewed him in that very car yes. exactly two days before that and I remember having a conversation with him because I realized dude usually when you interview politicians right even like just your average MLA there's like this whole barrage of like mm. cars surrounding them and security yeah. and there was nothing at that time okay there was just this small Maruti Suzuki in front of us which had his party men yeah. and I remember asking him sir why don't you have bodyguards why don't you because people obviously recognize him right, right? he is uh, a Saduddin Uvesi. people watch his speeches people know who he is what he looks like um, and he's like no 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 Fatima I'll, I'll never have a bodyguard in my life and I just didn't not get it Mm -hmm. Um, and then two days later this happened and incidentally our video got released that very day like an hour before it happened and I remember getting so many calls from my relatives because they don't realize how media works right so they're like oh my god were you just with him are you okay are you okay Uh, yeah it was really really bizarre and it was just I was this close to messaging him and saying him, I told you so. <laughs> but I obviously didn't. Yeah. I resisted the temptation because it is actually just so frightful that this is happening to a sitting member of parliament. And the fact that there was such little outrage at that point, even from, uh, you know, the other opposition parties, everyone, there was just this blanket silence, supporters of other opposition parties, in fact, went a step ahead and floated all cons- sorts of conspiracy theories, etc. And I'm saying, you know, there's a time and a place for that. At that point of of time if a sitting member of parliament a muslim member of parliament is being attacked like that and the fact that you know it just doesn't merit an outrage anymore it it for me was really really astounding um but yes you were asking about the
1: yeah the vote cutting quote business unquote. Samajwadi <laughs> party ka vote, kis kaata? and you know i'm part of some journalist groups and one of them has a lot of senior journalists and even there uh, there were these WhatsApp forwards. Of course there were. <laughs> where, it, you know, it was completely bullshit. Uh, there were there are now fact checks on it and some people really rightly pointed it out that what this one journalist had shared, that one specific party, you know, completely spoiled the game yeah. from the Samajwadi party. But you looked at the numbers after the yeah. results came out, you looked at all the 273 seats yeah. where the BJP won and you analysed that the third, the Party that came third in which constituency, which one was it? So just tell us.
0: So basically what I looked at is uh the margin of victory of the BJP in those Mm. 273 seats. Mm. Is that margin of victory over the SP, which is the primary opposition party? Is it more or less than the votes polled by the Muslim candidate fielded by the BSP and the Congress and the AMIM? So these three parties. Because at the time these three were the you know, presumed or uh, accused as being the quote-unquote vote cutters. Mm-hmm. So, this is what I looked at. And and you
1: found 38 found. seats where that margin was less, meaning that if it was party a third party, then Samajwadi Party ha. could have taken that seat. So, 38 seats. Right? So,
0: just to clarify, you know, mm-hmm. because this is data and we do a lot of things with data in a way that we presume certain things. So, mm-hmm. I just want to put it on record for people who, you know, might not have that kind of experience with data crunching. There were in these 38 seats also, there were some parties who polled more than, say, the Muslim BSP candidate, mm. for example. Mm. But it was a Hindu candidate, right? right. So I'm not considering that. Mm. Here I'm just considering the Muslim vote, okay? Right. And for the purpose of the story, of course, we'll make some assumptions. Of course, mm. we'll assume. At that time, after I did the story, so I'll just quickly go through the numbers. Um, the story basically said that 27 uh, candidates of the BSP. Right. Eight into these, um, what could have been SP's mm. votes, eight, uh, 20, 28 seats, mm. then uh, seven candidates of the MIM, mm. and I think four, four of the- candidates of the Congress party, right? Uh, which c- comes to a total of 38. Mm. And when I shared this also, you know, a lot of people were like, okay, but you know, how do we know for sure that these would have been SP's vote? Mm. Or how can we say for sure that, you know, wh- why should a Muslim only vote for the SP, mm. etc? And those are all completely valid questions. You yeah. know, I made that those arguments several times in the past myself. And in mm. principle, I agree. In principle, yeah. I agree that every political party has a right to contest. Of course, mm. you know, no one's saying that oh, this is a democracy. When and why should MIM not contest in a in a state? where no political party is talking about Muslims in a yeah. state where Akhilesh Yadav won't even utter the name Muslims he won't mm. even say minority community anymore right. you know why should he not enter that state mm. why should BSP not feel Muslim candidates you know all of these of course uh, this the point of the story or any of these stories is never to say that mm. but we the point also is that we are journalists and elections have taken place and we have to analyze election results for what they are, mm. you know, and to create a data set, uh, a data entry, some kind of repository for political parties, as well as analysts, as well as voters to refer to. Right. Um, and this was basically the long and short of the story mm. that I did. Mm. But yes, you're right. There were many, many fake WhatsApp forwards. Mm. Uh I think one forward that really went viral said something like, okay, in these seven seats, BJP won by a margin of 500, in these 49 by a margin of this, in these 86. And then for a minute when I read that figure 86, I realized that look, MM contested in a total of 95 seats. Yeah and you're saying the, the total of all of this is 165 seats hmm. so it it wasn't even they didn't the, whoever made that forward didn't even make that kind of effort yeah and it was being forwarded like you said by some even like uh, you know otherwise reputable sources and in fact INS carried a story that i saw on times of india right uh saying on that whatsapp forward just uh, yeah as Are in you like serious? they used that yeah oh my god yeah i'll send that to you they used that as like research that they've done Hmm. um and it was sh- and someone shared it on our you know whatsapp group on uh, the queen's whatsapp group is this true and for a minute i started doubting my own story as in what hmm. is this legit and then we did a fact check on that yeah. and you know other organizations also did a fact check on that so yeah this is how fake news spreads and in fact this is why i'd say stories that actually look at the figures are also very important in order right. to counter these
1: right I N S is the same by the way uh Newswire agency that once put out a story saying our prime minister is Narendra Bhakchod <laughs> Modi instead of <laughs> das. so Das. Do not know this? Do you not remember? This happened oh, wow. two, three years ago. I did a whole profile of INS then, and uh, the guy who is the editor in chief there is also a very interesting character. But <laughs> old. Uh, another old, Hafta on oh, <laughs> <another, man>. that. <laughs> yeah, another time for that thing. But was there any particular seat when you looked at these 38 seats? where, uh, you know, the vote cutting quote unquote happened, which you found stood out from the rest where there were more than one party cutting the seat or um, where the numbers were really close?
0: Yeah, I think one interesting seat was Muradabad Nagar. It was the one seat where all three political parties, the MIM, the Congress and the BSP Hmm. uh, basically cut the votes off what could have been SP's votes. Uh, mm. Let's put it like that. For example, the BJP candidate ended up meaning basically who's Ritesh Kumar Gupta, Hindu mm. candidate, and he beat SP's Mohammed Yusuf Ansar by just 0.24% votes, right? Which is a very, very slim margin. Mm. Uh, the BSP candidate here, Rishad Hussain, got 4.36% votes. Congress candidate, Rizwan Qureshi got one6 And the AMM candidate, Vakir Rashid got 083 okay. So all three got uh, votes more than the margin of of the BGP candidate and there were many many other seats where uh, very by very slim margin this did take place so you know there was another argument saying that okay you know but BSP BS- was never meant to win mm. these seats mm. um, to which I'm saying no that's not true you know data is telling us that's not true and of course right. these may not be the ideal way or the politically correct way of looking at things but this is what exactly is happening right. and it is true that you know historically in UP Muslims haven't voted as a vote bank. Muslims mm. haven't voted as a monolith. They have voted for their local candidate for the SP, mm. Congress candidates. But here, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, this was an existential election for them. Mm. Everywhere I went, I I I knew for a fact that EMIM won't be like here I even say that AMIM didn't have a vote share more than NOTA NOTA had more of a vote share than (laughs) EMIM you know which which makes that uh, WhatsApp forward even more bizarre you know so of course here the Muslims were very sure that they will be supporting the cycle Uh, Mm. they will be supporting the SP candidate and Mm uh axis told us that 83% muslims i think some other uh exit polls told us 73 75% muslims did back the SP. um uh, in a lot of these seats you know i realized bsp actually had fielded uh, a hindu candidate and last minute they changed it to a muslim candidate right you know these are also facts of the matter that mm-hmm. need to be looked into uh again, I do want to reiterate, because at that time, I did get a lot of backlash saying, you know, are you insinuating that we shouldn't contest? And mm. so weird, I do want to po- point this out quickly, exactly two years ago, in 2020, mm. I'd done a story, mm. uh, where I you know how MM is always called the vote cutter by the quote yeah. unquote, vote cutter by the Congress and other quote unquote, secular parties. Um, so I had looked at all the seats they've ever contested outside mm. of hyderabad Telangana. Uh, and said, okay, in me se kitne mein, mm-hmm. they made the BJP win mm-hmm. by cutting votes. And I realized it was one or two percent, you know, Whoa. not even a fraction. And I right. did that. And at that point all the MIM handles and mm. you know leaders were sharing my story and were like look look mm. we mm. don't cut votes. and I was like yeah you don't but today the same people even though it's just seven seats here mm. right they were upset that why did I even have to write those seven seats mm. but my point is either you have a problem with this exercise mm. either you say this exercise in itself is wrong you shouldn't be analyzing vote cutting vote cutting as a concept shouldn't exist and whatever mm. or you don't uh, whine when the conclusions don't suit you right. you know which is true of all political parties. And all supporters of all political parties, which unfortunately, in this day and age, because mm. of social media, are hostile. Right. Um,
1: but yes that is <laughs> that is that the is case. that is the case yes i want to see uh interestingly just a side trivia that you mentioned Sarda, johanpur here and uh, you said that was one common seat where both congress and bsp played spoiler but who won in johanpur i think it was the bsp no, no no
0: no it was so i only looked at the seats where bjp won right oh so
1: bjp won Johnpur, i see this yeah yeah oh that's crazy Because they've never done that, you know. Uh, I was born there, by the way. So uh, I've realized it's always a usually BSP or an SP uh, candidate that wins. I've realized that this is the first time they've ever done so in quite a while. Because since I've been thinking age, (laughs) uh, around 20-25 years, I've never seen a BJP candidate ever win the constituency. But it's a close margin, Mm. Fatima. You point out that Mm. BJP, for example, got 39% of all votes. Samajwadi party 36 but then you had uh, Muslim candidates from BSP and the INC Mm. accumulating 16-17% of the voter share that's an interesting seat and uh, back to from the biggest state in the country to the smallest state in Goa uh, Nidhi uh, you tell me and this is the first time I realized this that in Goa we have more female voters than male voters Yes, one of
2: the 13 states which
1: has yeah and That would probably, you know, set the mind thinking if you're naive like I am that, oh, then the political parties in that state would cater, especially to the female votes. But you did a story where you show that there is a gulf between the presence of female voters and what they actually get in terms of representation or in terms of schemes. So tell us about these women voters you met and you spoke to and what are their concerns in Goa? And then we'll come to the numbers of how they voted.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Goa has about 52% of female voters. Um, And like I was saying, you know, as soon as you land in Goa, there's so many political holdings dominated by Mamta and Ahmadmi Party and some BJP in Congress. And of course, the messaging and the campaign is directed towards women. So there's a lot of, uh, but what's interesting to really look at is while they do understand the value of the women vote. I don't think they understand what women want, uh, which is where the discrepancy is. And it's so evident that lack of groundwork from all parties. And here I actually must give uh, credit to Congress, which is the only party which didn't make a cash assistance uh, claim, but said they would give reservation in terms of employment to women. I think 30% of government jobs would be reserved for women. And employment is a big issue in Goa. In the, for the entire population and with women even more. So Congress was the only party that made that promise. Every other party was promising cash assistance. Now, even when you look at that, the initial, like as a journalist, I was skeptical. I said, you know, okay, so you're giving cash assistance. I'm sure there's a lot of other problems, which is true. But once you start speaking to women, you do realize that that cash assistance also means a lot mm-hmm. to women. Especially women who run the household in a a country where there's been like in a state where COVID has had a huge impact and so many men have lost their jobs that cash assistance means something. Um, But the problem is now the cash assistance hasn't kept up with inflation. So at one point, there was an increase like from 1000, which the BGP when it was in power, they'd offered the government had offered a 1000 rupee cash assistance to every woman, where the uh, annual income is less than three lakhs. Um, So you get 1000 rupees a Month and what do you do with thousand bucks a month? It really just is a token money sort of doesn't really cut for anything, right? And then they'd increased it to thousand five hundred. No, but the thing with this is like right now there's sixteen thousand applications pending to process this cash assistance, and most of the women we spoke to said that it's not a reliable assistance. Like you know, it never comes on time, and if it does, then sometimes three months ka comes together or four months comes together. During COVID, they'd cut the money, and there's no there's no information passed that this month you might get it you might not so even in terms of dignity for a woman to go and keep asking for it you will stop after a point right because it's it's not it's money that you have a right to nobody's doing you a favor like you have a right to that money but that indignity is also causing women from not asking and then the whole process of paperwork right like a lot of these women then are also not coming from a place where they understand how paperwork works and they've decentralized this process so in like you go to your panchayat, you'll speak to your local officer. And the, these interactions are all male, right? So they, mm-hmm. why will the women go? Um, and then their husbands, if their husband is not there, like, for example, we were in one village where a lot of the women who don't have husbands around, so either they're separated, or they're divorced, or their husbands passed away, or they work somewhere else, which happens a lot in Goa, let's say the men go to another state and work. These women then don't want to interact anymore with the panchayat officer or, you know, some local municipal person who will tell them 100 times to come and bring this paper, bring income certificate, and they don't understand these documents. And it's different for different schemes. Like this is Grihadar scheme that I was talking about. Uh, Now for like Ladli Lakshmi scheme, which is basically you get money when your child turns 18, especially again, like if your annual income is less than three lakh, you have an opportunity to avail uh, some amount of money, I think one lakh or something. But the child has to be exactly 18. Like mm-hmm. if she's 19 or she's 17, then it's gone, that money. So And, and all this of this is in the fine print, I imagine. So yeah, people miss yeah. It, yeah, and then that mm-hmm. office is in Panjim. So if woman a woman has to come and say she's a single mother, like we met one mother, she says, I forego like one days of labor mm-hmm. to come to this office where they'll tell me I haven't brought some document. And she said, I started applying for the scheme when my daughter was 17 and she's 21 now and now I'm no longer eligible for that scheme. So that's how much work you have to put in, right? And and, yeah, so in terms of uh, electoral representation, again, I think there's only... 8% 8% representation of women candidates. And I'm the
1: just... Congress's uh, ally, Goa Forward Party, did not field any women candidates. Any candidates.
2: There are parties, I think there are three parties which mm. haven't fielded any yeah. uh, women candidates. Shiv
1: Sena Ali, NCP, and J. Jai Mahabharat party.
2: Right. They haven't fielded any women mm. candidates at all. And I think, total of all 301 candidates, there are only 27 women oh. who were fielded. And I think last time there were only two in the assembly, in the 40 mm. member assembly. And 19 women who contested the polls last time only two made it to the assembly. And that's how and and also like the two women who made it are married to male MLAs. Right. So even there, like the women contestants are usually married to a husband who's also in politics. And when we spoke to the women candidates, they said that yes, my husband's in politics. So it's easier for me to be part of uh, Mm. the political system. And apart from all of this cash assistance, which is a need and not being met, there's also a lot of other issues like Mm. rape and domestic violence and sex sex trafficking, which is huge in Goa and is not part of a single political campaign speech. It's not part of a single manifesto. And what was so interesting for me was uh, we were speaking to one of the activists who's actually appointed as uh, their NGO is appointed as a nodal NGO that looks after sex trafficking and goes with police uh, when they go for these raids. And he said the three states which are now the three parties which are now contesting newly in Goa, AAP, TMC and Shiv Sena uh, are in power in states where women are mostly trafficked from. Oh. whether it's uh, Maharashtra, Delhi or Bengal.
1: Interesting.
2: And this NGO had sent a letter to Kejriwal mm. saying, and Swati Malewal mm. saying that, you know, we you have a possibility if you're coming to Goa to, stop to actually <laughs> yeah. trace this yeah. and stop this. Mm. But they got no response from Kejriwal. Yeah. And no response from any of the other parties which they had reached out to and said that if you're contesting here, make this part of your manifesto, make this part of your campaign mm-hmm. and really say that, you know, since we are in power in those states, we mm. can actually help Goa. Right, But none of that was attended to.
1: I see. I yeah. See. I think things like that that's such an interesting point you made but reporters can only you know grasp such fine print and detail of how parties run their campaigns when you're on the ground and you Absolutely. speak to people who are so yeah. embedded uh, i wouldn't have known that by far and you know you were talking about violence against women the numbers you present uh, the rape is, uh, the rape rate at 7.8% is higher than 4.6 the uh, yeah. national average yeah. and 66% of the rape survivors are minors these are last and year's numbers the
2: worst part that i felt was COA doesn't have a fully functional forensic lab mm. like and this has been proposed so many times by uh, the high court in Mumbai that you, your conviction rate is so bad because you don't have one forensic lab that's fully functional even today if you go to their website it says Uh, still developing uh, forensic lab. Right. So they have to send all their evidence uh, to a different state. So it Mm. either goes to Hyderabad or goes to Bombay. Right. And then that delays a whole other, you know, story in itself. Right. So these things are, and Pramod Savant in fact was criticized a couple of times even by Supreme Court that why have you not pushed for a fully functional forensic lab? Mm. And that just hasn't happened.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay, guys, uh, We've had, I think, rather long but rich conversation on Uttar Pradesh and on Goa. Um, So, uh, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. And thank you for the incredible work both of you do thank uh, you Ayush
0: for the incredible work you do let's talk about you. Ayush
2: now
1: thank you And let's... also feel
2: like I think this is a, like I've met more reporters through reporters without orders yeah. otherwise we don't really yeah. I mean at least I, I know you
1: socialize a lot yeah I
2: don't
0: know. either I don't Ayush no? is like super
1: social I am not know most reporters yeah. <laughs> this is as mythical as AM. I am cutting people's votes
0: this is not word. <laughs> <nerd. laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway thank you guys for being here um, uh, and listeners uh, who will uh, read Fatima and uh, Nidhi's and Fatima's stories. Uh, definitely check out your stories on quint.com. So we Google. And then Nidhi, of course, uh, your stories on newsandry.com. Your byline is on uh So people, please read their stories. And remember, News Landry is an ad-free platform. We do not take any ads from any corporate or uh, political establishments. So our uh, main source of funding are solely our subscribers which make sure that our stories are independent now Fatima is going to plug News genre. so Fatima please go ahead i all my life for this do actually, it actually
0: not all my life just for the last 30 seconds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when advertisers pay advertisers are served but when the public pays the public is served
1: so well what done a passion. drop the
0: well mic
2: drop the well passion.
1: <laughs> very good very good very impressive now let's just finish off with our recommendations Fatima, your recommendations, what would you tell, uh, like to tell our listeners to listen to, watch?
0: Yeah, so you know, when I'm going through a very hectic period mm-hmm. in my life, which has, the last three months have been because of the elections, I watch reruns of uh, existing shows. So I've just been watching Modern Family over and over again, mm-hmm. which is such an incredible show, guys. But um, my the only new show that I started watching recently is called Shark Tank India which is such a good show. Do you right. guys watch Shark Tank India? No, I don't. Few but episodes. I, heard, I, I have flatmates who watch it. Yeah, it's incredible and I just want to say that a lot of people assume that it'll be bad, mm-hmm. uh, which I just think is a bias in our heads because we think all ripoffs are bad, <laughs> which is also true. But this one isn't. So it's an aberration. It's a good
2: rarity. So we must watch it. Oh, that is my recommendation.
1: Okay, Nidhi?
2: So I actually read a story today on NYT, which is uh, titled The Case That Killed Me Too in Sweden. So it actually looks at this one case and looks at Sweden as a case study where um, we know Sweden as like this feminist progressive government. It's one of the few governments that calls itself feminist, but really looks at why women there never came out against men during the Me Too movement and how one woman who did name her abuser uh, gets is now being persecuted for defamation. Uh, So she's in court and facing uh, trial. And so are 12 other women and how the Swedish justice system actually doesn't allow for women to come out against men. And in fact, it's like interesting because they have this um, rule that even if you're a felon who's finished term in prison and come out, you can't say anything uh, towards that person anymore in in terms of like their case. And if you do or you, you know, say something hurtful or write something about them, that person can take you to court for defamation. Wow! So it's really interesting that way and provides for like a society which encourages forgiveness and reintegration. But with me too, it really worked the other way around because anyone can take you to court for defamation and the rules are really strong there. Mm. So it's a super interesting story of how this one woman, uh, Sissy Valen, if I'm right, she writes about this one person who abused her years ago and the court kind of dismisses the charges against him, even though there are other women who came out uh, on grounds of the fact that her defamation was more uh, stronger. So the defamation, uh, according to them, needed more legal scrutiny. Mm. Uh, So it's a really interesting case because the author also uh, was abused by the same uh, person who this sissy villain is accusing of. Wow. But it's interesting because then you sort of start wondering, you know, is the author falling to confirmation bias, but it's such a well written story that the author is also able to sort of understand the nuances and of what happened to her and what happened to this person and then write that story and look at it as a story of justice and not as a story of uh, not just as a sad story of, you know, what happened to this woman. So it's really interesting. And the other recommendation is the uh, fourth season of Formula One that's come out on Netflix now, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. which is so great. This so, it's so high drama this time. I mean, I watched this season when it was happening live mm-hmm. and it was incredible this season. Really sad for Hamilton, but uh, very cool season. Also, Netflix just aces this um, documentary mm. space. Yeah.
1: Yeah, even though their numbers in India are falling. Anyway, my recommendations yes, are uh, this podcast <laughs> episode on the scene and the unseen uh, with author Amitav Kumar ah. called uh, Amitav Kumar Finds the Breath of Life. He Amitav is a novelist and he's come out with a book uh, called The Blue Book, a writer's journal.
2: It's such a beautifully designed book. I saw it and I yeah. op- I
1: went to a bookstore and I opened it and it was just, I was, I'm was i too broke to buy books like that but it was beautiful. Um, the conversation is about, you know, uh, not just writing but thinking and looking at the world like a writer and taking it as it comes but in a, with a twist. And I mean to calm peaceful uh, conversationalist so Mm. when he's talking he's He's amazing yeah he's just Uh taking his time and explaining and Manisha also interviewed him so people can also watch that but this was a three four hour conversation and I loved it so please uh, listen to that and he
2: also really has he talks about how much visual makes a difference in writing like even in that book he has so many photos and it's just so nicely he said
1: you at one point in the podcast he says that you can't really look at something unless you start drawing it Mm. And that, and that was something yeah. to think about. My second recommendation is Fatima's series on the Quint called Everyday Communalism. Um, and I have, we've talked about what that series is about. But I think as someone who does a lot of tech stories and wants to... Explore the realm of video. I really look at their stories as you know the ideal way stories should be done, especially video. Even uh, Himanshi in Punjab yeah, was doing really good yeah. work. But uh, I think fatma has been doing video stories even before Quint. So please go to the Quint to the YouTube channel, find the stories, Thank watch you. all of them, <laughs> and uh, with that, this podcast is adjourned. Also listeners, if you're listening to this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes or any other podcast platform, remember we have a website newslaundry.com. Head over to the website. We have an in-house or an in-website podcast player where you can download, listen to all our podcasts natively and you can also check out the other work that we do like reportage, interviews and satire.
2: All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform.